Welcome to another episode of the Nourishing Africa podcast. Today, we have here Dr. Asa Mdambi, who will be speaking with us on building an inclusive and profitable dairy business. The dairy sector is a source of livelihoods for millions of women and men across Africa. There are hundreds of enterprises at different aspects of the dairy value chain, from input suppliers to veterinary service to dairy farmers, to milk collectors, to aggregators, logistic providers, retailers, and processors. These enterprises constitute a large dairy industry activity across the continent. However, these businesses are typically small scattered enterprises operating at minimal levels of productions and struggling to attain profitability. And all these, despite the increasing demand for milk and milk products in African countries. Our guest today, Dr. Asa Ndambi, is a senior international animal production specialist at the Wageningen University in Research, Netherlands, with over 15 years of working experience in international and interdisciplinary research and animal production systems, with specific focus on dairy value chains and sustainability. We will be discussing on this topic, building an inclusive and profitable dairy business. Let's listen to him. Hi, Dr. Asa. Please introduce yourself to our listeners out there. Hi, Ramat, and thank you for bringing me up to this program. I am Asan Dambi from Cameroon originally, and I'm an agricultural engineer. I'm also in the International Farm Comparison Network as a researcher, but also as a coordinator for dairy development in Africa and Asia. And uh, that also took me to many parts of the world where I studied the dairy chain development ladders, where we try to look at the dairy sector. Moving back to our topic, building an inclusive and profitable dairy business. How would you define inclusiveness in the context of dairy businesses? Yeah, thank you. When, when I hear the word inclusiveness in the dairy context, I think of uh, three things mainly. Uh, inclusiveness in terms of having more smallholder farmers included in the dairy chain is, is one first element that comes into my mind. A second element of inclusiveness is including youth and uh, females, so gender and youth inclusiveness. Uh, yeah, so gender is one and another is uh, youth. So for me, uh, a good inclusive dairy chain is one that allows both small holders and uh, large scale producers to produce milk and also have the opportunity to sell their milk in both formal and informal markets. So it might come in through provision of uh, cooperatives, or I've seen some cases where a large farm collects milk from smallholder farms around it, or provides a feed, and it sells feed to the smallholder farms around it, uh, just to support the smallholder farms to become inclusive in the dairy business. So that, that will be the first element, having options to support smallholder farms to uh, have dairy attractive. The second uh, will be the option to have youths find dairy business attractive. Uh, in some countries, mainly in Europe, there are some uh, 
support programs, subsidies, and all that, that help youths to adopt dairy businesses. We don't have so many of, of those in, in Africa, but it's, it's uh, an option to think of uh, having the youths or the younger people to find dairy business attractive. Sometimes it is by including more of the IT kind of uh, methods, um, some milking robots, uh, well, they are good also for bigger farms, not for small farms, but also using IT tools to, to monitor progress on the farms sounds quite attractive to youth. And once these options are available, they might uh, attract youth to, to involve themselves in dairy practices. <clears throat> now looking at women, uh, gender issue has always been uh, for quite a long while in, uh, an issue in, in Africa. Uh, women do not own land, for example. Women, for example, are always uh, in charge of businesses that do not generate a huge part of the household income. Dairy is one of the components that can give quite good, uh, a good amount of income. And if women are allowed also to participate in dairy more and more, not only in small scale dairy, but in also more market oriented dairy to own land and to access inputs uh, to grow the dairy business and make it real, real uh, a big contributor to the household income. And I think that uh, this element of inclusiveness can help develop the dairy sector further. Interesting insights, very, very interesting insights. Thank you so much, Dr. Asa. Now, when we are talking about the broad activities that are involved in the, in the dairy value chain, so I, I would imagine that these activities cut from farm to farm, but then I would like us to um, categorize this um, activities. So what are the primary or groups or levels of production involved across the dairy value chain? What are the various business opportunities available at this level, at each level? Yeah, the way I look at the dairy chain, uh, I would segment it into three main components. Uh, the, the first is the input or service provision that comes always uh, most often before the farm. And then the second level is at the farm level, on farm, all the activities that go on on the farm. And then the third level is uh, post harvest. So what goes off the farm. So when we look at input pro provision or service provision, we look at uh, inputs like feed, uh, services like artificial insemination, um, services like vet, provision of vet services, other inputs like farm, even construction of dairy farms or material equipment, milking machines and all the, those, those are services that are required for a farmer to be able to produce very well on his farm. Once the farmer has these inputs, he needs his own knowledge also a combination of services like extension service, 
services and um, management services on the farm to be able to generate uh, very good quantities and good quality of milk from the farm. Uh, once the farmer has produced, he needs to, the, the milk needs to get to a market or to a consumer. So post harvest, we look at transportation of milk from the farm to sometimes uh, a cooperative or sometimes directly to a processor. And then we also have the processing of the milk. And then we have the distribution of the milk after processing. And then it finally goes to the consumer. So those are, um, in, in a nutshell, the different actors that are involved in the, the value chain. But of course, we have uh, supporters like people who provide, uh, um, let's say, loans to farmers. And we also have the government. The government also provides an enabling environment. It provides laws and different uh, programs, dairy development programs, which could support or in some cases uh, prevent the development of the dairy sector. Awesome, thank you so much. Um, now I would like us to address some very specific questions for each of these various levels of production that you have identified um, from the impure parts to on-farm production and post-harvest. So I would ask my question in threefold. So the first is what are the common mismanagement practices at each level? I know that you've um, addressed um, farm management while you were um, talking about the challenges in the dairy sector, but I would like to um, relate these more specifically to each of these levels that you have identified um, earlier. And two, what are the key factors that determine productivity at each of these levels? Um, the third one would be how can each, how can the enterprises at each level build efficiency such that they can attain profitability and increase their productivity? Sometimes the quality of the feed is not right. Um, feeds have to be labeled and feed providers sometimes play with the quality of the feed. They either label it uh, wrongly, maybe they give it a better label than it, is, it actually is. Uh, sometimes they don't do some checks like uh, uh, mycotoxins. There, there are some feeds that have aflatoxins in them, uh, which is a quality issue, which is transmitted to the milk and back to the humans that consume it. Um, so feed, especially fodder, fodder uh, providers, they also don't have uh, quality standards. Sometimes they, they sell uh, a product which is substandard, like hay, for example. So I, I think that the, the, the key challenges for feed is the standard, respecting the standards of, of the feed. But then there's also an issue of distribution because um, if there are not so many people requesting for feed, then the, the business of feed provision is not uh, lucrative enough. And this applies to 
all the other services that are provided in the chain. So I will not repeat this for the other services. In general, when we deal with smallholders, the demand for inputs is usually very low and it's sometimes unattractive uh, economically for service providers or, or for input providers. Yes, yes it is. So um, taking the other parts that builds on the efficiency of, the, of these various practices. Well, first let's, let's take the factors. We want to take the productivity, produ uh, profitability and efficiency in two folds. First, what are the key factors that determine productivity and efficiency at this level we're currently on? I think we're on the input provision aspect. So what are the key factors? And then how can we actually ensure that they are profitable, that these businesses are sustainable, and that they can surmount many of these uh, management practices that you have identified? Okay, productivity, efficiency, profitability. Um, now I should take another actor in an input provision. I will take uh, um, insemination service providers. Insemination service providers also need a good market because they need to be called often so that they can provide the services in a profitable way. But they also need to have the skills because there are some insemination service providers who do two or three inseminations and, and the cow doesn't uh, come, be, become uh, pregnant. For the farmer, it is a very, uh, it, it's a lot of costs if he has to pay for you to repeat an insemination several times. So um, the service, needs, service provider needs to be skilled enough and to be able to do the job in a way that he can convince the farmers that he's doing the right thing. And for him to have a good business share, uh, once he does it a number of times and succeeds, then other farmers will be informed by the farmers where he succeeds with. Um, and then he, he has some kind of promotion for his business. And, and this is a general along the chain also feed providers or, or uh, vet providers. If you treat an animal and the animal recovers quickly, uh, the farms, farmers tell their neighbors that I got a, a, such a good vet, he treated my animals well, and they recommend him. So I think that the one has to be also skilled enough to do a, a good service, and then he will be recommended and once you're recommended you get more uh, jobs and then you also get uh, a, a more profitable business i think uh, so so i can summarize that into well do it well uh, but of course there's always the challenge that when you're dealing with smallholders they will always request uh, very few of them will request professional services and so um, in, in some cases you have to go long distances for you to, to execute uh, one, a, a task for you to inseminate an animal, for example, or for you to treat an animal. And uh, farmers might not be willing to cover all the costs. So you still have to negotiate, but once you are doing it well, you will get good uh, income from the job. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. So I'm uh, moving on to the on-farm production aspects of the daily value chain. And we'll take the same questions um, regarding the productivity, efficiency, and profitability. So the first really is what are the common mismanagement practices? And we move on to how these uh, producers can build efficiency around their productivity, profitability, and um, sustainability. Yeah. Okay. I think I would combine the practices, the mismanagement practices. I would say the first case is selection of the, the, the animals. Um, I had already mentioned sometimes farmers select the breeds which are not the most productive breeds because they want to cut down on, on the cost. So um, in that case, I would advise farmers to get also good advice from the advisory services and to select breeds that are both adaptable and also profitable. Uh, sometimes cross breeds are better than local breeds. Uh, it's very, well, I would not recommend pure exotic breeds because sometimes they are not quite adaptable to the situation. But depending on the, the agricultural research centers around where the farmers operate, they can advise you on the best breeds for for milk production. Um, that is one of the challenges I find. Another challenge is uh, vaccination of animals. There are some vaccines that are routine vaccines uh, recommended by the agricultural advisor in the area. Sometimes farmers want to cut down on cost and they miss to, to do the routine vaccines. And uh, of course, it's not very common to get diseases coming, but once you get diseases, uh, you get a really big loss. So it's on, on the long run, it's economically viable to keep vaccinating the animals to prevent such huge losses. And uh, a very big challenge which farmers face, which I would say is number one in terms of ranking the weight, is the feeding of the animals. Uh, farmers tend to cut down on the cost for feeding. And if you feed your animals poorly, not only do you have a poor yield from them, but you also expose your animals to health issues. So it, it, an animal that does not feed well is not healthy. It's, it's uh, having a weak immune system and can also pick all the diseases that come around. It, and, and that again plays a role on its uh, productivity. So um, it's, it's good to have uh, well-balanced rations to work together with farm advisors and to have feeds that are recommended for the animals based on their stage of production. So if, if an animal is giving, for example, 20 liters of milk in a day, it needs a special feed which is different from another which is giving 10 liters of milk per day. And it's also different from the feed of a cow that is dry, that is not producing milk. It's also different from a calf. So um, it's good to look at the feeding strategy. And uh, also one point where farmers try to cut down on costs is the breeding of the young stock. 
if you have calves which you are going to use in future as uh, cows for milk production you already have to start feeding them well from the young age as they are calves even before weaning or after weaning until they start reproducing because it's like building a solid foundation for for your house so your house is now the milk cow and if you put a good foundation on it it's like feeding the calf well so that at the end it also produces enough milk and is resistant and it can stay for uh, a longer it can produce milk for a longer time than one which you neglect as a calf and then you want to have much milk suddenly from it wait all right thank you so much for that so farmers need to be aware of the feed you have to take cognizance of the type of feed that feeding the animals, the ration, and their health issues that can arise due to the feed they are giving to the animals. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, yes? and, and I would also like to add something here. When it comes to uh, marketing of milk, I think that farmers also need to uh, connect to the market because one, one problem is farmers might produce milk and don't get a good market for the milk. So it is good for them to also check the market opportunities around them where they can have an attractive price for their milk. It makes them more profitable than farmers who do not think about the market and are just, uh, just accepting any, any, any buyer that comes. They should have a sustainable market and also a, a an attractive milk price. All right. Based on what you've had it right now, so would you say um, forming cooperatives or joining different societies and cooperatives would help um, dairy farmers to improve their chances at getting um, access to markets and you know just getting a competitive price for their milk? Yes. That is one of the, the, the big uh, drivers of success in some countries where the dairy sector has grown very fast. If you look at countries like India, they had cooperative structures that supported the dairy sector. And also in East Africa, most of the countries where the milk production is a lot higher than in West Africa, they have these cooperative structures and now this is uh, the, the part of post-harvest we are looking at. So uh, when farmers join cooperatives, there's a possibility of them having a, a good bargaining power because they come together and they can bargain for a better price of milk. Uh, but there's also the possibility of them getting inputs. Uh, there are some uh, systems in, in, in Kenya, in East Africa, where we call them check off systems. So a cooperative might have feed and vaccines and other inputs in, at, at the cooperative where a farmer could come and just pick up, for example, a bag of feed or some hay or some straw. And then at the end of the month when he's supposed to be paid for the milk, they just deduct it from, they deduct 
what he had picked from the cooperative from his milk price. And this, this helps quite uh, a lot in improving uh, the, the milk production because the farmer does not need to really worry all the time. I need to get some money to buy my feed. I need to get money to do this. You see the cooperative brings the, the inputs together for the farmers and it becomes also cheaper for them uh, because they, uh, they acquire it in bulk. And uh, that, that increases uh, the, the farmer's uh, profitability. Then there are also the possibility of cooperatives to get micro credits. When farmers are in cooperatives, they have higher chances of getting, of getting credits. They might get credits from the cooperative through some micro credit options in some credits. But a whole, credit, a whole cooperative also has a bigger chance of getting credit from a bank because the farmers have come together and formalized their, uh, their activity in milk production. So they also get better chances of getting funds from a bank if, in case they want to develop the dairy activities further. And also there are some uh, options where large farms produce fodder and distribute to small farms. Um, there's an option which I've seen in Kenya where there, there, there are commercial fodder producers that produce um, lots of fodder and they, they, they bale it either as silage or they, they, they can also do hay. And then they distribute to the smaller farms which do not have the possibility of producing their own fodder. Uh, and and uh, because the bigger farm has the machines, it has the means of transport, they can also do that. And then the farmers might get, they just have to pay for it. That's an option post harvest. It, well, it's an uh, option beyond the farmer's uh, scope, but which can also help the farmer in developing the dairy, uh, the dairy chain further. In some cases, um, they are not cooperatives as such, but there are milk collection centers. Um, there are some options where a private body can decide to create a milk collection center uh, just to allow farmers within a certain radius to supply their milk to this collection center and it's also it's a business you can also make money from it because you because of the facilitation process if you are able to chill the milk then the processor will buy the chilled milk at a better price than if you are selling milk that is still let's say not chilled so you can do business, private individuals can do businesses along the dairy chain by collecting milk and chilling and then distributing in bulk to processors. And that's also um, somehow a way of supporting smallholder. Right, that was very insightful. And you've spoken extensively about the on-farm production, the impure provision aspect. And yes, you've touched a bit on the harvest, um, post-harvest st stage as well. And um, these milk collection centers, these um, the logistic providers, 
and even the milk processing companies themselves. So um, just in a few uh, words, how do you think they can better, you know, one, support farmers across Africa? Because given that dairy farming is being handled by majorly small older farmers, so how can his category of stakeholders better support small older farmers across Africa? And um, two, how can they, as a business, also build their own profitability and sustainability. Uh, yes, I, I have seen in, in some countries where the processor, it does an integrated vertical integration in the dairy chain. So they try to step down uh, to see or to, to support activities with, within the production. So the processor could also facilitate the creation of these uh, collection centers. Sometimes they own the collection centers, the processors own the collection centers, uh, and, and it also helps them to be able to assure the quality and the quantity of milk that they get from these collection centers. Uh, one other thing which some processors do is they support in extension of, uh, so, giving ad extension advice to farmers. They have extension workers. Um, so each region or a, a location gets one extension worker and he goes around helping the farmers and training them on how to improve on production, how to improve on quality, how to manage their, their animals. And in, in, then in, in the end, both the farmer and the processor benefit because the, the processor gets more milk from the farmer and the farmer gets more milk from his animals. So I think that th there are options for even cooperatives to do the same because cooperatives could be run by a board. So cooperatives could be a group of farmers that just come together, but they have their own board and they can also decide uh, to support their farmers by having the extension workers, by providing uh, inputs, as I had mentioned before, uh, by negotiating for a good price for, for the milk. So I, I think that the different uh, actors could also support uh, dairy farmers in providing both information on markets and also on inputs for the farmers. All right, thank you so much. And how can they um, ensure profitability for their individual businesses? Yeah, profitability, it comes with in, increased productivity. So if uh, farmers are trained to feed their animals well, then they get more milk from their animals. If farmers are trained to keep their milk clean, in, in good hygienic conditions, the milk is not rejected. So if that milk is rejected, then they lose the income from the milk. So, so um, such trainings, they help, they, they don't only help the farmer, but they also help the public because if the public consumes poor quality milk, then we have health issues at the public level. It, it, that's only in the case where the milk goes through the dairy chain 
undetected. So, so uh, improvements in productivity will lead to improvement in profitability. And when we look at the players of the chain, if, for example, a processor, when a processor has more milk, he, he is operating at a higher capacity. And what I have noticed is that in most countries in, in Africa, processors are operating at a less than their capacity. So if, if you have a capacity of, uh, let's just say 100%, and you are operating at 30% of your full capacity, then your overhead costs are a lot higher. So the cost of, of uh, transforming or, or processing one liter of milk becomes a lot higher than if you are operating on 100% capacity. So whatever activities that processors or even the, the milk collection centers do to increase the volumes of milk that they transact or that they process, it also helps them to improve on their profitability. Awesome, awesome. So increased profit, uh, productivity leads to increased profitability. Thank you so much for that. All right. Yes, and, and, and I also want to add that the, when the, that is when we are not considering some elements like climate change, environmental issues, because, yeah, because th those are also very, very important issues. Uh, sometimes there are some environmental restrictions. Uh, you cannot just increase productivity to certain levels. There are some Sometimes you have to stay within some environmental um, limits. But what I've also noticed is that most of the activities that are done to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and those that are done also to, to improve on the adaptation to, to climate change also support in increasing productivity of uh, farms which on the long run lead to improvement of the efficiency of the entire dairy chain. All right, and of course, I imagine that there are several climate smart uh, innovations and solutions across the dairy value chain as well that um, entrepreneurs along the sector can tap into, which really brings me to uh, my last question for you, Dr. Asara, which is really around the tools and resources that are available in the landscape for our agribusiness SMEs who are involved in the dairy sector. So what are these tools and resources and various opportunities that they can leverage to help them scale? And um, this cuts you know, across the input providers, the confront producers, and the post-harvest um, people. So what are the various tools, resources, and opportunities ranging from climate smart solutions or whatever that they can use to scale their businesses attain, uh, and attain profitability? Yes, I know I have mentioned uh, some of these, like just going together, forming cooperatives is, is a tool on its own that helps smallholders to develop their businesses. And uh, I also mentioned about the uh, larger farms supporting small farms, which is a 
a component of inclusiveness. Um, th there are some trials going on on, on climate smart options. Uh, that there are like climate smart villages where they produce milk or climate smart uh, dairy production uh, units, which um, have many components of nutrient management, nutrient cycling on the farm. So they support farmers uh, to, when you produce, you have manure, you can use the manure to fertilize your fodder farm. And then the fodder is now fed onto the cows. And then you have a very good system of recycling the nutrients. And this also reduces costs because when you use uh, manure, if you store it well, you use it as a, as a fertilizer, you get a higher yield, but you also reduce the amount of artificial fertilizer which you will use on, on, on the farm. So you will, use a, you will reduce your costs. And, and then if you produce other crops like um, cash crops or, or some other food crops, then you have byproducts which can be used as a feed for the animals. So one very good uh, um, advice I will give to farmers, uh, I already mentioned on feed, is a feed formulation, but feed formulation using local resources. So having like a, a database of resources, well, not a database, you just need to know what resources you have in the local environment, and you can consult uh, feed experts to formulate balanced diets for the different kinds of uh, animals you have such that you can meet their needs using requirements from the local environment rather than buying more expensive feeds from far away and also paying a lot of money to transport them. So they can be just some smart options for feeding livestock on the farm. Well, there are also smart options for input providers, uh, diversification, as I mentioned, um, also supplying in bulk. So it is it, uh, grouping farmers and delivering to them in bulk could help an input supplier to cut down on his costs, especially on transportation, but also for him to acquire his, his uh, material in bulk from wherever he sources the material and then delivering it also in bulk uh, helps him to become more economical and climate smart because he's going to use less fuel to transport if he has to go one trip rather than going for two or three trips. All right, I think um, you've really done justice to the topic and we do <laughs> Really appreciate your time. There's been a lot of insights to be gained on this podcast for different value chain actors on the dairy uh, in the dairy sector. And of course, I have had a wonderful time, and I am sure that our listeners have done the same as well. So I think we would wrap up here. Thank you so much, Dr. Asaya, for your time and the wonderful insights you've shared so far. It's been a pleasure. Um, deliberating with you on this podcast today. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Nourishing Africa podcast. 
And for those of you who have been looking for us across various podcast platforms, we are now on iTunes, we are on Google Podcasts, we are on Spotify and Overcast. So you have these platforms to listen to our podcast as you wish, any time of the day. Once again, thank you for joining us. Do join us next time. Bye-bye.